Good morning. While there were apparently a number of sins that plagued the church in Corinth, it appears that their most prevalent sins were sexual sins. They also seem to have a significant theological problem related to their sexual sins, namely thinking that the forgiveness of their sin gave them license to live in any way they wanted. In fact, most commentators believe Paul is quoting them when he uses the phrase, all things are lawful for me, in verse 12. This may have been their mantra. They believed that they had been forgiven and as such could do whatever they wanted. In the verses before us today, we will hear Paul address both their sexual sin and their poor theology. He will also provide what I'm calling a theology of the body. He will show that what believers do with their body is extremely important, since God redeems not just the soul, but the body as well. Listen as I read 1 Corinthians 6, verses 12 through 20. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. Food is meant for the stomach, and the stomach for food, and God will destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord, and will also raise us up by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Flee sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body. But the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God with your body. The first thing Paul does is correct their bad theological assumptions in verses 12 through 14. Twice in verse 12, he uses the phrase, all things are lawful for me. This seems to be a summary of the Corinthians' understanding of their Christian liberty. While Paul is certainly an advocate of Christian liberty, he does not think of it in a libertine way the way the Corinthians were using it. They apparently believe their liberty actually gave them freedom, even to sin if they so chose to do so. Paul will give two responses. He says, all things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. Real Christian liberty frees believers from sin to live righteously. Not everything helps believers live in a way that is consistent with their confession. Instead of asking what is lawful, it is better for believers to ask what is helpful or what will help me become the person I was called to be in Christ. Secondly, he says, I will not be enslaved. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be enslaved. Freedom can very quickly turn into bondage. Something may be lawful, but it might also enslave the one who participates in it. Paul refuses to allow his freedom to enslave him. In verse 13, Paul will continue along with this train of thought by talking about food and sex. It seems that part of the Corinthian philosophy was the belief that one should give in to whatever bodily desire struck them. Paul corrects that way of thinking. He starts with saying, food is meant for the stomach and stomach for food. As with the saying, all things are lawful for me, this was a pr probably a popular sentiment in Corinth. The meaning being essentially, I can have whatever I want 
whenever I want it, and no one can tell me otherwise. Paul puts that position in perspective by reminding them that God will destroy both the body and the food the body consumes. He then declares that the body is not made for sexual immorality, but for the Lord. The problem for the Corinthians was that they were taking a truth that was for their good, they were free in Christ, and twisting it into something awful. I can do whatever I want without consequence. And as a result, they were losing the blessing of their freedom. Paul then puts a strong emphasis on his declaration that the body is for the Lord by reminding them of the resurrection of Christ. Christ's body was raised, and believers also will be raised up in power. In chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians, Paul will give a detailed exposition of the resurrection because the resurrection of Christ is central to every aspect of the Christian life. Here, Paul simply wants to remind them that what we do with our bodies is important since those bodies are going to be resurrected. In verses 15 through 20, Paul will give a brief theology of the body by explaining why it is so important for believers to avoid sexual immorality. As he often does, he asks a question to confront them with the truth. He asks, do you not know? He first wants to know if they know that their bodies are members of Christ. I believe that Paul is speaking here of a mystical union that exists between believers in Christ, but there is something practical as well. Our bodies are what allow us to carry out Christ's mission to the world. Our feet take us to the places where we are to use our mouth to proclaim the gospel. Our hands are to be used to serve the physical needs of those who also need Christ. I could go on, but I think the point has been made. He now applies the truth of the believer's union with Christ to a particular sin that was obviously prevalent in Corinth. They visited prostitutes. Paul is not graphic, but he is clear. If believers are united to Christ, we would use our bodies, Paul calls them members of Christ, to engage with a prostitute. Paul simply says, never. Again, he asks, do you not know? This time he wants to know about the union that takes place through sex, the two becoming one. One does not need to get married for this union to take place. Our culture wants to write sex off as something casual and inconsequential. And many in the church follow along and essentially adopt the same attitude about sex that one finds in the world. This, according to Paul, is a serious error. In verse 18, Paul will issue a negative command, or a command that forbids something. Later, he will offer a positive command and commend something to the Corinthians. The command is simple. Flee sexual immorality. Instead of listing all the ways one could be guilty of sexual immorality, it will be easier to positively state the sexual ethic presented in the Bible. It is to be between one man and one woman who have been united in marriage. That is God's design, and anything outside of that design is sin. Sexual immorality, Paul will reveal, is sinful in two ways. First, and most importantly, it is a sin against God. But Paul says it is also someone sinning against their own body. They are using their body as an instrument of sin And by doing so, they are sinning against themselves.
Paul now again asks, do you not know? Earlier, he used the question to emphasize the spiritual union that exists between Christ and the believer. Now he will emphasize another reason why believers must avoid sexual immorality. The reason is, our bodies are a temple of the Holy Spirit. Not only are we spiritually united to Christ, but the Holy Spirit indwells believers, which makes our body a temple. To commit sexual immorality is to defile the temple where God's Spirit dwells. Believers are not their own, but were bought with a price. Sexual immorality is bondage to sin. We were bought out of bondage at the, Christ of, at the price of Christ's blood. We now belong to him. Paul will end this section with a positive command. Glorify God with your body. There is not a single part of us that actually belongs to us. We were bought with a price and are called to glorify God with our whole being. Today, I want to pray for the GCL prayer list, the teachers and substitute teachers and administrators that GCL has asked us to pray for this week. The GCL prayer list this week includes Tanya Fikes, Tammy Helm, Laura Whitney, Amy Vandiver, and Linda Austin. Please join me as we pray. Father, we are grateful for another day, and we know that we deserve nothing. Uh, you have blessed us with every good thing, uh, despite the fact that uh, we are sinful beings. And even though we have been saved, we continue to sin, and you continue to show grace and mercy, and for that we are thankful. Father, you heard the names of the faculty members and substitutes and administrators that uh, I spoke just a moment ago, and so we lay them before you. We ask you to equip them to do the work that they've been called to do here at Geneva, and that you would bless that work as well. Thank you again for your goodness. Thank you again for your grace. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.